Welcome to the Valley Church. Our mission is to see changed lives, and we hope this relevant teaching inspires you to take the next step in your spiritual journey. Thanks for checking out the podcast and enjoy the message. Well, good morning. What, wasn't that just a wonderful time of worship? Would you just thank the praise team? What a, what a, what a great job. You know, our, our, our normal worship leader is in the hospital. He had got some, some, uh, some sickness going on, and, uh, and, and they just find out this week and do that and uh, usher us into the presence of God. There's a sense of, of spirit of restfulness today. And I don't mean lay on the couch and put... <laughs> that, and preachers never like that when you go to sleep during the sermon, okay? But I'm, I'm talking about a restfulness in your spirit. You know what I mean? like this, it's going to be okay. Like God has this. I hope you sense that kind of restfulness in your spirit today. That, that's where I believe God wants us to be restful and to be in his presence. I, I, uh, I want to encourage you as we launch into this series and into this message today, before we do that, I want to encourage you to join a life group. If you go to the app and you can do all things on the Valley app, I'm going to give you a chance in a minute to, to go get that thing. But here's the deal. You can hit the life group tab and you can join a group. I want you to know that if you come into the valley, but you've not been in a life group or in a study with a group of people, 10, 12 people doing this journey together, part of a team and so to speak, you've never really experienced the valley church the way it's meant to be experienced. You have not experienced the fullness of this place. You see, the best things happen in the context of community. I'm talking tight community where you know someone else and they know you and you're doing life together. You're challenging each other and uh, you're picking each other up. That's what life groups are meant to do. And I want to encourage you, if you go to the app, you can see the life groups that are available. And, and frankly, we don't. what I want to do is I want to see three times that number here in a short period of time. So if you, ever, if you feel called that God is maybe leading you to lead a group of 10 or 12 people in this journey. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to understand it all. You just have to help others along the way and facilitate a group. And we would love to see you do that. So I want to encourage you to do that. That's how we're going to change lives and how we're going to make disciples. We're going to accomplish the mission of this church and how your lives are truly going to change over time. Well, we're launching into a series called The Almighty Dollar. You know, people have asked me, um, you know, it's about money. How we handle our money. What, what, God has created this thing, currency, and the, he's created money, he's created wealth, he, he's created all things, and so money is just a, a substitute for those things, right? That's really what it is. And so people have asked me, is it a little funny to talk about money? Isn't that a sensitive topic to people? Yeah, it, it is. Um, and yet, it used to really kind of bother me. I wasn't so sure I wanted to because I had a wall up in my own life about money, so I certainly, you know, I didn't want to broach somebody else's wall, but over time, that's changed, and you know why? It's because of this, because I've come to the realization that money has the power to shape us. It leads our hearts either toward or away from God. It really is true, and the more I began to realize that, the more I began to see that, the more I began to say, you know what, I can't get squeamish about this, Money has the power to move us, to shape us. Why, why wouldn't I share the good news about what God wants to do? See, he wants to use your resources to lead your heart. It says so right in the Bible. It says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Another way to say that is what you're invested in is where your heart's going to go. If you're invested in the things of God and what breaks his heart, 
you're going to be moved toward God. If you're invested in the things of life, the fun, the things that you can get for what your money can buy, your heart are, are going to be drawn to those things. And, and it may not be bad things, but they certainly won't be the best things. And so I'm not scared to talk about money. Money is the thing that holds back lots of people from following God with all their heart. And so what I've come to realize is this isn't a pocketbook issue. It's not a purse issue. It's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. You know, all you got to do is look at your own life. If, uh, if you're invested in, in a stock, right, or maybe a mutual fund, or maybe it's a, a bank account or whatever it is, and, and if that thing, if, if the market falls, does your heart go with it? <laughs> If you invest in, in buying a new TV and the thing breaks, doesn't your heart break? <laughs> yeah, that's why people jump off buildings, not, not for the TV, but for the stocks. You know, you see, where our treasure is, our heart, there goes. And I just wonder today how, how many of us have put up a wall and we said, man, I don't want to hear about money. There the church goes, talking about money again. I remember the day that I was there. And I thought, no, they're talking about money. And yet I began to realize over time as God in a service led me to hear the truth that my money was keeping me back from God. And as I opened up, God began to break my heart for the things of God. See, I was, there was a time in my life where I spent my money on what I wanted, on what I wanted to do, on fun. And yet I felt empty. I, I felt lost. I it wasn't bringing the satisfaction I thought it should, spending all this money. So I heard a preacher talking about money. <laughs> and I let the wall down enough to hear God convict me that I wasn't using it his way. And so I began to use it his way. And, and when I began to then invest in the kingdom of God, began to invest in the things that God wanted me to do, to manage his resources his way, you know what? All of a sudden, my heart became emotionally tied to the things of God. <laughs> Where my treasure was, my heart moved. And there's a lot of people who put up a wall and said, talking about money again. You know, I want to give this caveat right off, and I'm going to do it all four weeks of this sermon series. God doesn't need your money. The church, the church is not needed of your money. This is not a fundraiser for the church, this four-week series. I want you to know that. The Valley Church has never done better in its, in its entire existence. It's never been more financially stable. It's never done as well as it's doing as far as resources coming in for the mission. And yet, I want you to also understand this. God has he's expanded our mission way beyond what we've ever seen. Like it started out in a, the basement of the Hojo. And it started here. Now there's a Troy campus and an online presence. You, many joining us from all over the world and, and are in the communities all around us. And, and now we believe God has really called us to launch a Sydney campus. This thing takes a lot of resources. But I want you to know that if, if you allow the wall to stay up and you say, oh, they're talking about money again, you're going to miss what God wants to do in your life. I want you to hear this is not about raising money for the church. This is about your heart. It's about what God wants to do inside of you. Go with us on this four-week journey and let, let God show you what he wants you to see. What's amazing is, uh, is God's given us 
an example in his word. He's given us a passage that I think clearly illustrates how the two are tied together. And so that's where we're going to start. You would think, where do you start a series about money? Should, should you start talking about money? No, you start with Jesus. You start with Jesus. And that's where we're going to go. Luke chapter 19. By the way, if you, can, can we just take 60 seconds? You got your phone? If you, if you don't have the Valley app, would you just go to your, your messages right now, where you text, and put in 77977 in the, in the number up the top, and put in TVC app, because I'm going to tell you it unlocks everything, the Valley. It'll send you a link, and when you do that, you can click version. it's one of the top tiles when you download that for the Piqua campus, and uh, you, get all the, you get all the scriptures are right there, the fill in the blanks, and everything the Valley. And so I want to encourage you to do that right now so that you have that at your fingertips. And uh, it's, that, it's that important. Because here's the thing. You get out of it what you put into it. You get out what you put in. Okay, Luke chapter 19. Uh, uh, this, is a, this is a fantastic story. A fantastic encounter that Jesus has with someone. And we often, it's Zacchaeus. You're, you're going to find out. Jesus enters Jericho. And he makes his way through town, and there's a man there. And we often think this is a kid's story. Let me disavow you that notion. This is not a kid's story. Kids love it. Maybe you've done the, like the crayon worksheet with Zacchaeus hanging out in the tree. This, this has such power for you and me. This isn't just a kid's story. So Jesus enters Jericho, makes his way through town. Jesus, by the way, he's done miracles. He's raised the dead. He's healed people. I mean, his reputation precedes him. And now he's coming through town and he's going to Jericho. Now, if you look at the Old Testament, Jericho is this, is this place the Israelites have to defeat before they can go into the promised land. So God the Father springs the Israelites. They're in captivity in Egypt, and he springs them, and they're moving, and they go through the Red Sea, and, and they get the manna, and all these miraculous things are happening. They come to the promised land. They disobey God, so they've got to do a 40-year detour, and now they're ready to go into the promised land. Don't, don't disobey God. Trust in him, and you don't have to do the 40-year detour. Some of you are still on the detour. It's time to get off the detour. So they're ready to go into the promised land, but guess what? There's Jericho. It's this fortified city. And if you know anything about military strategy, you don't go around an obstacle and leave your flanks or your rear open. You leave your flanks or your rear unguarded, you're going to get whacked. And the Israelites know that. I want you to know in your spiritual life, you can't go around things. Some of you have just kept going around it. The problem's still there. You've got to go through it. And so the Israelites go through it. How do they do that? God says, I'm going to fight your battle for you, but you're going to have to show up. And so he sends the priests with the Ark of the Covenant, which is the promises of God, and they, six days, one time a day, go around the city, and then the, the, the priests with the Ark of the Covenant leading, and then the seventh day, they go around seven times with the priests leading, they blow the trumpets, the people shout, and the walls fall down. They go in, and they wipe the city out, and they're able to go on to the promised land. Some of you need to wipe out some sin in your life. You need to wipe out some of the things that are holding you back. And you need to let the walls come down so you can experience all God has for you. And that's really what is happening here. I, I don't think it's any mistake that this is all happening in Jericho, the place the, well, the walls fell down. The place the walls, walls can fall down. God wants to drop the walls in your life. Now there was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region to become very rich. 
Fascinating. Jesus knows his name. Jesus knows his name. His name is Zacchaeus. It means righteous one. Zacchaeus didn't live it up to that. <laughs> He's not living up to that label. Righteous one means right with God. He's the chief tax collector. He's also a white-collar thief. He's a white-collar thief. What he does, and many of the tax collectors in that day did, was that, that they were authorized by the, by the government, the Roman government, to, to, to collect taxes from the people around, but they wouldn't just collect what, they were, what the tax table said they were to collect. No, they, they took them up a bracket or two, whatever they could get. And guess what? They kept the difference. That's how Zacchaeus gets wealthy. He's getting wealthy on your account. He's getting wealthy on your expense. He's getting wealthy on the people's expense there. And they hate tax collectors for that very reason. In fact, they become the outcast. Luke, if you read through the Gospels, they don't hold tax collectors in very high esteem. In fact, they're the ultimate outcast, the scum of the earth, basically. And that's Zacchaeus. And he's a chief tax collector. Now, get this for a minute. He's not just a tax collector. He's the chief tax collector. I've read this passage a number of times. I've never really, that never really stuck out to me. Like he's in charge of all the other tax collectors. So not only is he raking in, no, he's, he's helping all the others rake it in. Like he's the chief scum of the earth, as the Jewish people see him then. And he'd become rich at other people's expense. Some of you today, you feel like Zacchaeus. Because Zacchaeus knew that. He knew how people saw him, but beyond that, he knew how he felt inside. You see, Luke essentially is saying Zacchaeus is the chief of sinners. If tax collectors are sinners, he's the chief of sinners. And some of you have come in today, whether you're sitting at home on the couch, watching from your iPhone, you're in this place, you're saying, I'm the chief of sinners. I've gone too far. I've done too much. I can't, be, I can't be helped. God has a word for you today. God has a word for you today in this, because that's where Zacchaeus is. And he's wealthy beyond belief. He's got authority and power and money. He, he's got all those things, and, and, and yet we can begin to see real quickly that there's something missing. He knows something's missing. And you can have it all in this world. You, you can have everything you think that the world says you ought to have, and you what? You can feel like it's all missing. So Zacchaeus tries to get a look at Jesus, but he's too short to see over the crowd. He's a short little guy. He is, I don't know if he has short man's complex. You know, you, you, that's a real thing, isn't it? If you're short. No. Tall people think that, right? He's short in stature. He can't see physically. But you know what? He can't see spiritually. See, he tries to get a look at Jesus. He, 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 you know, did you know that spiritually you can't see Jesus without him revealing himself to you? All of us are short in stature. Every one of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us are like we can't see Jesus without him giving us the grace to even turn our eyes to him, to see who he really is. And I believe that a long way away, Jesus, he sees Zacchaeus. Now, Jesus has come into this world. He's always existed, but he comes into this world 2,000 years ago as a baby. 
And so he comes as 100% human. He's already 100% God. He, he comes as 100% human, and he sets aside his divinity so that he can experience life as we experience it. And so the Father then reveals to Jesus who Zacchaeus is. And Jesus knows his name. He knows who he's supposed to be, and he knows who he is. Did you know that, that God knows you? He knows your name. He knows who he created you to be. He knows how he made you, but he knows how you're living. There are no secrets with God. And, and, and he sees Zacchaeus, and he loves him. He loves him. It doesn't say that here, but as you see through the story, you realize he loves him. It says, so Zacchaeus, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road. And that's the part of the story we always love. He, he climbed the tree. That's the one you colored. You know, maybe when you're in grade school, whatever it is. And he climbed the sycamore fig tree beside the road for Jesus was going to pass that way. He had come to the place in his life where he was done. He'd come to the place in his life where he was tired. He was tired of being tired. He was sick and tired of being who he was. He was sick and tired of waking up in the morning and looking in the mirror and not liking what he saw. And he wanted that to change. And everything he'd placed his hope in wasn't getting him there. And so he climbs a tree. Now this is fascinating because in those days, men in Eastern cultures didn't run. They certainly didn't climb trees. And yet here he is, somebody in this high position, well-known, feeling strong about life, sort of, on the outside, not on the inside. He runs, and he climbs a tree so he can get a look at Jesus. Maybe today, if you're lost, if you know there's more, and you know you're missing, maybe it's time to climb the tree today to get a good look, to say, God, I want to take the walls down. I don't want money to get in the way. I don't want, I don't want whatever you might call me to do to get in the way. I want to tear the walls down. I don't want anything to stand between me and you. I want to, I want to know who you are. Would, would you reveal yourself to me? That, that's really what Zacchaeus is doing with this act of climbing the tree. So it says, when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and he called him by name. You ever had God just kind of whisper something to you or, or, or reveal something to you? Some of your first service told me that I, I used a, a thing, hey, you know, some of you, you haven't come into church. Maybe you're at home and, and uh, you're saying, you know, if I go to that place, the roof's going to cave in. This person said that that's what they always thought. <laughs> and they came today and the roof didn't cave in. Sometimes when things like that happen, you're like, God's calling me by name. God's going to speak to you today. His Spirit wants to speak to your heart, and you'll know He's calling you by name. He knows who you are. He says, Zacchaeus, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Pretty cool. Pretty cool that Jesus knows His name. Pretty cool that Jesus knows our name. See, it wasn't what Zacchaeus had materially that was messing him up. It's what he didn't have spiritually and so jesus gives him an invitation he says come down i want to go to your house today houses i think are one of the greatest illustrations metaphors for our spiritual heart that there can be you see we've got a 
We've got a heart, but it's really a house of many rooms. And the question is, how many of those rooms have you given to God? He wants to come into your life. He wants to come into your heart, but he wants the whole shebang. He doesn't just want to sit on the porch. He doesn't want you just to have a little religion along the way to go with whatever else you got. He doesn't want you just to have a little sliver of your life. No, he wants the whole kit and caboodle. And he says, I got to go be a guest in your home today. That's an invitation to begin a relationship with Jesus. That's what he's calling Zacchaeus to. He says, I see you. I know your name. You're righteous one. You ain't living up to it. I know who you are, but I know what I made you to be. Come down quick and let's go to your house. Let's start a relationship. Let's change your life. I want to be in your home today. I think that's what God is calling some of you today. He's saying the same thing to you right now. See, you're sitting in a chair, maybe here in the worship space. Maybe you're sitting out in the atrium today. Maybe you're at home. You're sitting on that iPhone in the car. Maybe it's on the couch. Wherever you're at, you say, this is where I'm sitting, but you're not really sitting there. Today, you're up in the sycamore fig tree. And God is calling you to come down. God is calling you to go with Him. He wants you to know He sees you. He knows your name. And Zacchaeus knows. Zacchaeus knows that Jesus is the one who's healed. He's the one who's raised from the dead. He's the one who's made the blind see. And there's nowhere else to turn. There's no one else to go to. It's either trust in this man who knows his name, who sees him, or to continue to trust in those things that have never produced and never provided. (laughs) And I believe his act of coming down out of that tree was his act of faith. And we'll see later that Jesus says salvation has come to this house today. We see in verse 6, it says, Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. I think Zacchaeus had had some fun with the wealth. He, he had enjoyed some of the fruits of that, but it was short term. It never filled. And now he's got a joy. You know what joy is? That's a depth. That's a, oh, that's coming from the, no, that's coming from the bottom up. That's a secure foundation. That's an assurance that everything's going to be good no matter what else happens in the world. That, that there's, a, there's a joy that just wells up when you're in that place, when you know you're in the right place, when you know who you're supposed to be, when there's no more guilt and no more shame, when you're resting on the rock. That's, that's what Zacchaeus is finally experiencing. When he comes down, he finds what's been missing in his life. <laughs> you know what's interesting here is though the crowd's not pleased. <laughs> the crowd isn't pleased with that because they want to see Zacchaeus suffer. He took my money. He did this to me. They did that. They're on the other side of the tracks. You know, we, we uh, talked in the message last week about King Nebuchadnezzar throwing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the furnace because they wouldn't bow down to him. And, and King Nebuchadnezzar would have never known, but guess what? There was a crowd there. There's always a crowd. Have you noticed that? There's always a crowd. You're part of the crowd. Or you can be. And, and the crowd, they grumbled. They never want justice unless it's for them. 
they never want justice for others, but, but if there's justice for them, then they want mercy. That's the better way to say it. And they don't want mercy for Zacchaeus, but Jesus does. You know, it's fascinating. There's another story that Luke tells, and it's in some of the other Gospels. It's a, it's a story about a father and a couple sons, but one of the sons is like, they're wealthy, and they, they're living high on the hog, and yet this son, even though he has everything that the father wants to give him and has provided for him, he, he wants more. So he asks for his inheritance early. He goes out and spends it in foreign lands on wasteful living, and uh, he just fritters it all away. And he comes to the day where he's like, He's like Zacchaeus. He's empty. The wealth didn't give him what he thought it was going to. It ran out. There's no pleasure, no joy. There's only an emptiness and a despair. And he comes to the realization that's what's left for him. And he hopes beyond hope that he can go back to the Father. And so he begins this journey back, rehearses the whole story, comes to the Father. And the Father comes to greet him. And he restores him. But then there's a brother. There's a brother. That can be me and you if we aren't careful. See, we've all been the prodigal. And we want mercy when we're the prodigal. When we're the one who needs restored, then we want mercy, would you, if there's any way. Could I have one more chance? Would you make me new? I've been there, have you? But when somebody else gets the mercy and they don't get the justice we think they ought to have, we, we can be like that older brother. He complained. Why are you showing him mercy? Look what he just did. You never threw something, a party like that for me. And the father says, you've had everything. You've had everything I've ever had to offer you always. But don't, don't ever stop me from giving mercy and showing my love to somebody who was lost and is coming back, to my son who was lost and is coming back. I think in this, we get a clear idea of what the church is to be. See, the Bible says, in fact, this passage says that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. That Jesus cares about those who are lost. And so one of our, one of our values as a church is that we have a come-as-you-are attitude. Come-as-you-are, wherever you're at. If you think the ceiling of the church is going to fall down <laughs> and cave in on you when you come in, Come as you are. Just don't stay that way. See, Jesus Christ wants to work in your life. If you will allow him to tear down the walls, he's going to reveal to you how he really created the world to work, how he created your life to be, who he created your name to be, and he's going to take you back there. Not because you deserve it, because he loves you. And so we want you to come just as you are. Don't try to clean yourself up because you can't do it anyway. That, that's the kind of church, I think, that God is calling us to be, the kind of people that's, if we're going to follow in his footsteps... You see, we're to be a deep and wide church. A deep church in the sense that the, those of you who have said yes to Jesus Christ and begun that journey, you're to commit completely to Him. And deep isn't knowing, just knowing more of Scripture, and that's important. But deep is about how committed are you to Him? How much have you given of the rooms of your heart? That's deep. And when you live deeply with Him, people will see Jesus in you and they'll want what you have. And that's how we'll share him with the world. And then we're to be a wide church. That means people can come as they are and discover who Jesus is. 
You see, he cared about people who were lost. <laughs> he cared about Zacchaeus, even though Zacchaeus had messed up even other followers of Christ, but he cared about him. And it's fascinating. Look at what happens next. We know, we know from this passage that, that Zacchaeus' heart has changed, and how do we know it? Like, what's the clue that's given? <laughs> Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I give I will give half my wealth to the poor Lord. And if I've cheated people in their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Money. How he handled the resources God's put in his hands becomes the visual for where his spiritual life is. See, when your life changes, when you trust in Jesus Christ, he's going to change everything in your life. He's going to want to rearrange the furniture in your heart. He's going to move some things around. He's going to take some things out. He's going to put some new things in. And you have to trust him to do that. And one of the ways you can know that you've given him every room in your heart is that, that there's not a struggle over money anymore. That you realize that 100% of what you have is his. He is the owner and he's given it to you to manage for his purposes. And some of that purpose is going, to be, is going to be to move the mission of the church. He's called us to tithe, to give a tenth of our income to move the church forward. But it's really about your heart. It all comes back. Are you going to put God first or are you going to put yourself first? But then there's this 90%. What do we do with that? God's going to manage that too. I used to think, well, if I give this to God, then that must mean this is all. No, it's 100% his. And when I came to the place where I realized, like, it's all his, it changed everything. And you see, how you handle the things in your life, how you handle your marriage, how you handle the influence you've been given in this life, how you handle your money is an indication of the state of your relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not something I've come up with. It's what Scripture clearly teaches. You know what's amazing? is that the scriptures in the Old Testament, the Mosaic Law, gave four ways you pay restitution. You figure something out if, you, if you've cheated somebody or whatever. And there were four different options here. You know Zacchaeus, he could have like, eh, I'm gonna, I'll start down here and see if that satisfies him. Then I'll move the... He doesn't do that. He goes right for the top recourse. Because you know his heart's really changed. And now he w wants to trust God as much as he can, not as as little as he can. <laughs> and it changes him. It changes him. And we know that because when we get to the last two verses of, of this encounter that Jesus has with Zacchaeus, it says, Jesus says, salvation has come to this home today. Him giving that resource, him coming to that conclusion about what he was going to do with his money wasn't why he was saved. He was saved because he came down out of the tree and accepted Jesus' invitation to come into his life. But the proof, but, but, but the clearness of what had happened was that he now had given God every area of his life, including his finances, including what he had held so dear, what had become a stumbling block to him ever finding God. <laughs> Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. Abraham was known for his faith, right? And, uh, and so, 
The Bible says that his faith, Abraham's faith, was credited to him as righteousness. It's almost like, a, like he's got a bank account of faith. And, and like his, when his faith got so high, it was like, oh, he's righteous. He's in a right relationship with the Father. See, faith is what builds that bridge with God. It's our response to what he does. It's our response to what he starts, what he initiates. And, and he says he's a son of Abraham. That means that as he came down out of that tree and received the invitation, accepted the invitation that Jesus had given him to come to his own house, that he was going to do life with him, he was going to be with him in his life, he had that same faith. He was a son of Abraham. It was credited to him as righteousness, and now he's in a right relationship with the Father. And, and Luke caps this whole thing off. Luke caps this whole thing off with what, with what Jesus says. He says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. <laughs> That's his purpose. And so today, as we start this four-week series about money, Maybe you get the idea already, it ain't about money. It's about your heart. It, it, it's, it's, it's about Jesus wanting a relationship with you, and the overflow of that will be how you handle your money. And it gives you a great indicator of where you're at. I used to not like that, because I thought, well, I'll just hold that aside. It doesn't work that way. So, here's how you apply this today. What, 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 what do you, how do you boil all this down? What, Pastor Andy, come on, give me some handles on this. I'm telling you, what God really wants is your heart. <laughs> That's what he really wants. And have you, ever, have you ever come down out of the sycamore fig tree? Have you ever come to the place where you're tired of your life, where you're sick and tired of how you feel about yourself? Where where, where you have that assurance that everything's going to be okay. Have you ever come to that place and come down out of the tree and, and let Jesus into your home? Today's the day. Today's the day. What he wants is your heart, not your money. See, he owns it all anyway. Why don't you accept that invitation? This invitation wasn't just for Zacchaeus. It's for you today. Quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. That's what he's saying to you. He knows your name. He knows where you're at. He wants to welcome you. He wants to transform who you are so that you can feel good about who you are. I think God also wants us to understand this. How you handle your money reveals the state of your heart. I just want you to, I just want you to put that in your head as we go through this four weeks. It, it's an indicator. It, in fact, I think there are two things. One is your calendar, and the other is your pocketbook. And if you go down the ledger of either one, you'll know what you value. You'll know what's most important to you. You'll know how you're spending your time and your money. And those two things are some of the best indicators of who you really are and who you're really trusting in. Matthew puts it this way. He says, no one can serve two masters. <laughs> Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. William Borden learned that William Borden learned that. He was the heir to the great Borden inheritance. That's dairy. Like this huge empire. And he's, he gets the money. So this guy goes to Yale because, like, I guess he's smart too. 
I wouldn't have got into Yale, just so you know, if there's any questions. I don't think I'd have made Yale. He made Yale, and he had the money, whether it was the money or whether it was his, the influence of the family, but everything's going well, and he's spending the money, man. He's having a good time. I mean, he's got the whole inheritance to look forward to, and yet he comes to the place where Zacchaeus comes. He's empty. <laughs> it's not filling. He comes to the place where he realizes there's more. And, and he gets into the sycamore fig tree and he sees Jesus. And he invites, actually Jesus invites him to his home and he, he comes in. He allows Jesus to come in and he's transformed. And, and it's a transformation of he gives him every room in his heart. He doesn't just, no, he, he says, God, I, I want to follow you. And he has a love relationship with Jesus. And so he begins his journey. And as he's going, he feels this call that he's supposed to go preach the gospel to Muslims in Egypt. And so he goes. He leaves most of the fortune behind. The easy life, the convenient life. He leaves all that behind and he goes to do, because he's going to trust God. And he has the most awesome experiences sharing Jesus. Because I'll just tell you, when you do what God wants you to do, like it's going to fill you. And he experiences that. And yet he only makes it four months because he contracts meningitis and he dies. And the people who knew him best, the people who knew him best wrote this on his grave tomb, his gravestone. They said, apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. Apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. See, he could have lived a life of ease. He could have done whatever he wanted to do. It defied human explanation why he would push that aside and he would focus. Even the resources that he did have, as he brought with him, he gave hundreds of thousands of dollars. He wouldn't even buy a car when he was ministering because he wanted that resource to be used to change people's lives. And they say, apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ, there's no way. People choose that. You see, his life and how he handled his money was a statement about who was first in his life. It was a statement about who he was and whose he was. And so is yours. How you handle everything in your life is a statement about whose you are, about who you're following, about the relationship you have with God. There are two steps you can take that I want to give you today. Wherever you're at, if you're in the sycamore fig tree looking for God, looking for that satisfaction that has been elusive, if you're in that place where you say, I know there's more, and I think that's the cry of our age, I really do. I know there's more. This can't be all there is. Come down and go with Jesus. Go with Jesus. Let him be a guest in your home. He won't stay if you don't want him to, but as long as you keep him invited, he'll never leave. And you'll have the joy and the excitement, the satisfaction, and, and the longings filled that you've always looked for. And then give God complete control of his money. Whatever that means. Whatever God calls you to do. But don't just give him control of your money. Give him control of your calendar. Give him control of your marriage. Give him control of your children. Put it all in his hands. Because how you manage 
all that he's given you determines and is an indicator of your relationship with God. How much you've given Jesus control of your life. How many rooms you've allowed him in. And I believe that's what God is calling us to do today. And so, I just want you to bow your heads right where you're at. And I believe that there are some people here this morning who've never said yes to Jesus. You're like Zacchaeus and you say, I'm the chief of sinners. I've done too much. I've gone too far. And yet, I'm looking. And you've searched in all the wrong places and all the wrong faces. Would you climb the tree? Would you run ahead? And would you climb the tree? Would you be undignified and trust your life in his hands? Because Jesus invites you down. He knows your name. He knows who you are. And he knows who he wants to make you, who he's made you to be. Would you say yes to him? Would you begin a life with him? Some of you are here today and you gave him a couple rooms, but you've never given him complete control. You've been scared. You, you've got fear. You've got fear that if you trust God, there'll never be enough. You've got fears that if you trust God, you're not going to be able to do some of the things that you want to do. You've got fears he's going to make you do weird stuff. Would you let the walls fall down in your life? Would you handle what God has given you, your time and your energy, your influence, and particularly your money? Would you handle it his way, whatever that means? I want you to open your eyes for a minute. There's a picture on the screen. Maybe you see it. Put it on the image. What's fascinating about that story we talked about a little bit before, about the father and the two sons, and the son who goes away and squanders his wealth. He's coming back. He's coming back down the road. And he doesn't know what's going to happen, but he's out of options. He has no more he has no more, no more places to go, nowhere else to turn. And as he gets into the sight, and the father is watching, as the father sees his son in the distance, you know what the Bible says? It says the father ran. In a culture where men don't run, where it's too undignified, the God of the universe loves you that much that he's running to greet you today. Would you say yes to that? I'll guarantee you, I'll submit to you today, that's the thing that's missing from your life. That's the more that you've been searching for. A love that'll run for you. A love that will show you mercy instead of just justice. A love that knows your name and wants to help you become what you originally created to be, that is what's missing. That's the more. Let's pray. Father, I want to pray over this, this people, those who are watching online, those who are in the room, wherever they find themselves, whatever tree they find themselves in today, Father, would they hear your voice? Would, would they see you? And Jesus, would you, would you drop down the walls in their life that they can receive you, that they can, they can go out with you, that they can live with you now? Father, I just pray that. I pray that as, as each person decides where they're at and, and as you begin to reveal and illuminate their hearts, would, would you help them, Lord, to, 
to invite you into their home, to give you every room in their life, to hold nothing back so that they can experience the fullness and the joy that you have always designed for them. And then as we go through this journey, would you begin to reveal in more detail what you want to do with the resources you've poured in our lap, that you've put in our hands, and the joy that's going to come from being obedient to you. These are the things we ask, and we ask in your great name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, if, if you made a decision, if you came out of the tree today, would you let me know? If you came out of the tree and you're experiencing that journey, you're beginning that journey, would you let us know? We'd love to come alongside of you and uh, can't wait to keep this journey. So we'll see you next week. Watch out for a little snow, I hear. God bless. Thanks for joining us today. To stay up to date with our weekly messages, make sure you subscribe and follow us on social media. You can check us out on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or download our app to stay connected to all things the Valley. And if today's message impacted you, share it with a friend because change lives, change lives.